Welcome to That You May Grow Thereby. We are thankful that you have joined us today. This is the work of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. We're located at 18 Scott Drive in Florence, Kentucky. You can reach us at www.nkcofc.com. And now, That You May Grow Thereby. Thank you for listening to That You May Grow Thereby. My name is Greg Littmer, and I am one of the elders at the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. I'm Jacob Taylor, one of the evangelists. And I'm Ross Oldenkamp, also an evangelist. And we are turning our attention today, at least in the beginning, to the parable of the Good Samaritan. It is found in Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. Again, that's Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? What is your reading of it? So he answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered rightly. Do this, and you will live. But he, wanting to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Then Jesus answered and said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a certain priest came down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. On the next day, when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said to him, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And he said, He who showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. You know, Jesus was doing as he usually did, evangelizing a group of people in some location. It has been suggested by some of the commentators that this was near Bethany because of Jesus' habit of using local color to teach a lesson. And Bethany was on the road from Jerusalem to Jericho. While Jesus was teaching, a certain lawyer stood up to draw attention to himself and to indicate he had a question or a comment to make. Lawyers were very learned groups of scholars, usually Pharisees, and they specialized in the exposition of the law. Some think that they were different from the scribes who copied the law, while the lawyers expounded upon it orally. Matthew and Mark use scribes, and Luke uses lawyers, so I'm inclined to think they're pretty much one and the same. We are told that this particular individual asked his question, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? To tempt or to make trial of Jesus. 
as an expounder of the law, I'm not certain that we can say that there was a necessarily malicious design to his question. Talking about the law and studying it was what this man did. And it was a good question. The fact that his question dealt with eternal life suggests that he was a Pharisee because they were a group noted for their belief in the resurrection. Jesus' response placed the burden upon the lawyer himself. He was a specialist in the law. So the question is, what did the law say? His answer was from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, and Leviticus chapter 19, and verse 18. The statement from Deuteronomy chapter 6 was a natural answer for the lawyer to give. It was recited every morning and every evening by the Jews and was written on their phylacteries. Yeah, I never really thought about this as being possibly not a malicious test. I guess that is a possibility. Um, If he is a Sadducee and he brings up the issue of eternal life, then then you know it is malicious, you know, because he's trying to trap him uh, in just like they they did concerning the woman who was married to seven seven uh, husbands. Uh, but I I do love the way Jesus. I mean, he he knows this is a lawyer. He's very accomplished and capable individual. So he simply asks, "What is your reading of it?" I mean, you're the lawyer. What uh, what makes good sense to you? And and it's clear that the man. Uh, he knows the scriptures. He answers perfectly. And I think in providing such an obviously good answer, he's revealed uh, maybe he didn't need to be taught anything regarding this, at least in his way of thinking. He thought he already knew the answer. And so by having Jesus ask, well, well what do you think it says? Uh, there was some sense in which he felt like he'd been... Uh, He'd been made to look foolish. Otherwise, why would he try to justify himself? You know, it is a good, a good statement that you make there. That it's a good answer to this to this very important question. And Jesus commends the the lawyer's answer, but he also made a fine distinction. His answer was correct, but a person had to do more than say it; he had to do it. So we might ask the question, why did the lawyer feel the need to justify himself in asking the question, who is my neighbor, as pointed out in verse 29? Perhaps it was because the Lord had answered his question so skillfully that he felt a little foolish in having asked it. Or perhaps it was because he knew what what he knew to be the truth and the way he was actually living it did not match up. Whatever might have been his reason, it set the stage for one of the greatest and most beloved of Jesus' parables. Some contend that Jesus is recounting history here, but it seems to me to have all of the earmarks of a parable. Either way, the lesson is clear. Yeah, and in this lesson that Jesus is going to tell in 30 through 37, um, these aren't examples that Jesus just picked randomly. Um, there is great significance to the first two. They're going to walk by this man that was um, was beaten and robbed um, with the, the priest going by um, and, and passing by on the other side and the Levite doing the same. And then the Samaritan, certainly for the, the Jews there, out of all people, it's the Samaritan is the, is the one that's going to be the, the neighbor. 
um, and the stumbling block that could have been with how they viewed Samaritans at that time. Um, but Jesus certainly showing the, the, the aspect there of, of being a good neighbor isn't about um, the being a, a Jew or a Samaritan or any other case, but, but doing um, to others as you would have done to yourself as he also teaches um, in, in other areas of the gospel. I think it's important to focus upon the fact that he was a Samaritan and the relationship that existed between the Jews and the Samaritans. It was so unusual that uh, of the three men who passed by, two that you would think, the first being a priest and then a, and the second a Levite, both of them you would think would have been of the inclination to help this individual based on what they were. But it wasn't the case at all. What was the case was that the Samaritan, who showed great compassion and mercy upon this particular individual. As far as human reasoning goes, this man, the Samaritan, would have had better reason to pass by without helping the other than the other two did. The injured man was a Jew. He was a Samaritan. Hence, no obligation. That is how the lawyer would have interpreted the law. He could also have encountered trouble at home for helping a Jew. As the Jews felt about the Samaritans, so too did the Samaritans feel about the Jews. But he didn't do that. He saw a man in need, and he helped him. He dressed his wounds, set him on his own animal, and took him to an inn where he took further care of him. The next day he departed but left money for additional care and promised more if it ended up being needed. We would obviously think that the answer about the neighbor would be anyone who needs help, but Jesus turned it from who is my neighbor or who am I obligated to love to how love itself is embodied. Jesus answered the question by demonstrating the humility and compassion of love. Remember when Jesus told the lawyer, you have answered right, this do, and you shall live? Jesus was showing again by this parable that the law was not just for studying and for arguing. It was about living. Yeah, I love the way he uses the word neighbor in verse 36, almost as if it's become a verb. Uh, New King James at least says, which of these three do you think was neighbor? Not like was a neighbor, because uh, the question was, who is my neighbor? Uh, well, this Samaritan, he was neighbor. This is what it means to be neighbor, which means to show this love. One more thing I wanted to point out about the question concerning, what do I need to do to be saved? Uh, Jesus essentially says, Yes, you're right. Love God, love your fellow man, do this and you will live. I gotta be honest. If someone were to ask me, what do I need to do to be saved? And and I said and that was all I said, I would feel somewhat inadequate in my in my response. How is it that Jesus is able to say, Good answer. If you really do this, then you'll be safe. And I, I think that I bristle I would bristle at that response because I know what people mean when they say, all you got to do is believe. You know, I know that they mean by that, well, 
you know, you don't have to be baptized. It's faith only for salvation. Jesus can answer the way he did on a concise answer like that because loving the Lord with all your heart means keep keeping his commandments. They didn't try to separate loving God with, well, what about these other commandments? Someone who really loves and someone who really believes, they're not going to balk at any of the things that God has said to do. It's an excellent, excellent explanation. Well, we'll move on now, and we'll look at a situation with Mary and Martha, two sisters who are sisters to Lazarus. And we find then in Luke chapter 10, verses uh, 38 on down through verse 42. Now as they were traveling along, he entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister called Mary, who was also seated at the Lord's feet, and was listening to his word. But Martha was distracted with all her preparations, and she came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do the serving by myself? Then tell her to help me. The Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things, but the only but only one thing is necessary, for Mary has chosen the good part, which should not be taken away from her. The certain village that Jesus entered was Bethany, according to John 11 and verse 1. This was the home of Mary and Martha. And we're told that Martha received Jesus into her house. In other words, she treated him as an honored guest. Mary sat at his feet, treating him as the teacher. Martha, going about serving food to our Lord, gave apparently little time to listening to him at that time. She was distracted, going in different directions as she worried about serving Jesus. But Mary didn't do that. She sat at the Lord's feet and listened to what he had to say, even to the point of making Martha mad. Martha said, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. She does not exactly blame Jesus for Mary's failure to help, but it practically amounts to that. If he had cared, he would have sent her to help, is the implication of her statement. Yeah, uh, I love this story because Martha has this, like, she feels it's completely justified anger and is probably just very certain that Jesus is going to provide the fairness that she is seeking. And she just is totally blindsided, I think, by by this by this, um, uh, this better decision that Mary has made. But I can really empathize with her, especially having grown up in the house that I grew up in. You know, whenever you have guests over, it's kind of like a fr- sometimes a frantic moment of cleaning and preparation. Everything had to be perfect and... Uh, you know, of course, then when the guests arrive, mom takes on a whole new look and everything's everything's fine now. But boy, you could see the stress before. Uh, so that was really important, clearly, to Martha, was that everything was proper. Um, but she seems to have taken this uh, exhortation well. Because not too long later, uh, we read that in John 12, verse 2, Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus was, who had been dead, 
whom he had raised from the dead. There they made him a supper, and Martha served. But Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table. You know, some people, I, I can imagine if they were in Martha's shoes, might be, well, just offended at what Jesus said. If you're going to scold me or think that I chose the lesser here, then we'll see. We'll see how everyone likes it when no one no one gets served. You just see what what becomes of this place. Now, I think the fact that she doesn't say, "Well, I'll just never serve again," is a is a good point. That here she is still willing to serve. She seems to have taken taken it pretty well. Yeah, I, I think um, to to verse forty one. Um, how often that, that could be said of us, um, where it could be, you know, t- to myself, you know, Jacob, Jacob, you were worried and distracted by so many things. And we can get so focused on um, different things. And Martha isn't focused on anything sinful in nature. Um, it's, it's she's trying to um, prepare the house and, and do different things there um, for her guests, certainly. And yet we see that Mary had chosen the greater thing, the more necessary thing, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Um, and for, for us, you know, as Jesus talks about in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew um, chapter 6, for us to make sure that we are um, just just trusting in Him, seeking Him first, and understanding that um, there, there's, there isn't a need to be worried. We can certainly just trust and and look to him first and foremost as, as Mary does here. There is clear in Jesus' response to the uh, the complaint, I guess you could say, of Martha. He rebukes her, but he does so gently. I think we could say by repeating her name, Martha, Martha. Martha was hustling and bustling about physical things. And those are important. Physical things are important. But truly, only one thing is most needful, and that is food for the soul, spiritual sustenance. Mary had chosen the good part, seeking first the kingdom of God, and that was the best choice to make. You guys have anything else to say? Then that's going to bring this particular lesson to a close. We thank you so much for listening. We appreciate your attention. And we ask you to ask your friends, tell them about this particular podcast that you may grow thereby, and tell them we're dealing with the life of Christ, which I can't think of a better, more important subject to discuss. Until next time then, thanks for listening to That You May Grow Thereby.